In today's episode, we are looking at NBA free agency and the small forwards that are coming up. Michael Bolton. Let's get to it. To it. Let's get to it indeed. You are locked on fantasy basketball. Your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com and at Yahoo Sports Australia. And you can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore B-Ball and on Instagram at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Today's episode is also brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code Locked On, and you'll get 10 bucks off your first order. Now, what we're looking at today is more of the upcoming free agents uh, for the NBA 2020 free agency class, which will uh, which will come to fruition in October. Um, looking at guys by the position designation on Spotrack, which is a little bit iffy. Um, so some of these guys wouldn't necessarily be classified as small forwards, but I had to use some sort of delineation, and that was the one that I used. And again, some of these guys, probably not small forwards, more power forwards. But we'll talk about them in today's show. Also, guys who I don't think have really any chance of declining their player option, Gordon Haywood, Otto Porter, who are due almost $30 million or $30 million plus in Haywood's case. I haven't included on this list because I just don't see, given the current landscape, where or why they would become free agents in this group. So I just... Yeah, a couple of guys do have player options in this group. They're the guys that, that I did include, the ones that I think will decline those options and become free agents. Now, let's start things off. And the last one of these shows that I did, um, I was pretty annoyed at myself for you know, missing in the list of guys because of the low minutes that he played. Malik Beasley in the shooting guard, um, shooting guard show. I did cover him briefly at the end, but screw that shit because he is going to be an in-demand player. So he comes in as a shooting guard, but I'm putting him in the small forward list just because I forgot him in the shooting guard list the other day. So Beasley is a guy that, of course, I think he really, no, I think, I know that he didn't have the greatest of seasons when he was with the Denver Nuggets. The shot wasn't falling. Um, he wasn't getting consistent playing time. He wasn't even a regular part of the rotation. But then he moved to Minnesota and things changed. He only played 14 games there, but 33 minutes a night, he shot 43% from three. He averaged 21 points and five rebounds. Now, he has shown in the past to be a, a quite a good three-point shooter. He's a 39% shooter over his career as a three-point shooter. The attempts were wild in Minnesota. Over eight attempts per game, made three and a half per game. Shot 52% on his two-pointers, which is up 10 percentage points from where he was in Denver at 42%. Um, so yeah, that's uh, really impressive. He also was able to up his free throw rate as well during that time. Um, yeah, but still had some, some struggles. He still had some really, really troubling defensive metrics. His defensive box score plus minus was a negative 2.4 during that time. So that is that, that's a little bit of a worry. And overall, his impact was you know, considered somewhat of a neutral number. But a guy that can come out, can shoulder a larger usage load, can be a strong three-point shooter, is going to be in demand. His uh, his PIPM was also a massive negative in Minnesota, negative 1.58. That is somewhat of a troubling number. He was a, a minus 5.9 on off. Again, a troubling number. And how he sits in a team that is going to have D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns, when when he was playing, there was no Towns. 
how is he going to look with that usage? I think that they are pretty set on having him as a starter next to Russell. Um, I think they will look to pay up to get to get him in, but you know, will he be worth the fifteen to seventeen million dollars he probably is going to demand on the open market? I think that's a legitimate question to be asked, and, and I'm not really sure that he is. Uh, again, a really strong 14-game run, scored well, shot well, didn't do a huge amount of other things well, um, but when the usage drops off when Towns is there, can he contribute in other areas? Can he still keep that high level of shooting up, which he wasn't able to for the beginning of the season, and he feels a bit like a guy that needs the ball in his hands to actually be efficient, one of those players that when he's not touching it as much, the shooting doesn't necessarily look as good as when he's in control. And that's, I guess, somewhat of a worry here But with Beasley. But he's 23 years of age. He's a restricted free agent. Teams will make some offers on him. But in the end, I do expect him to stay with Minnesota on a three to four year deal of you know, between 15 to $18 million per season. The next guy to talk about here is the number one small forward on the market, and that is Brandon Ingram, who almost assuredly is getting a max contract. He made $6 million this season. He's a 23-year-old restricted free agent, the number two overall draft pick, of course, but took that big, big step forward this season, really, in ways that were unprecedented. I don't think anybody could have seen what we saw from Ingram change this year. He became not only a high usage player, but the efficiency went absolutely through the roof. A true shooting of 59%, rebounds, and 4 assists. He shot 86 from the line, which is a staggering number considering he was at 68 last year. He went from um, 33% from 3 on under 2 attempts to over 38% on over six attempts, so tripled his attempt rate, improved his efficiency, uh, improved his free throw numbers by a wild, wild number, and it was able to get his usage up from 24 to 28 as well. So just a huge step forward. I think that he is no doubt going to get a max. Is he the player? There's max contract players and there's max contract players. There's LeBron, there's Giannis, there's Steph, there's Jokic. These are max contract players. And then there's max contract players like Andrew Wiggins or Otto Porter. Like, which one of those is Ingram going to be? Or which which one of those is he going to slide more towards? I don't think that he is necessarily that upper-level superstar. The fit with him and Zion still has some question marks. And he did fall off a little bit when Williamson joined the team, yeah, coming back from injury. And that's a concern. I don't think... You know, I look at what Ingram did and go, okay, 24-6-4. Really good numbers. Where does he go from here? Like, what is the next step up from here? He already took such a leap forward in shooting volume and shooting percentages and usage. How does that adjust now when he's got to play longer term alongside Zion Williamson and a developing Zion Williamson? How is that going to work for him? So I don't think that he is... He is a no-brainer in terms of offering him that max contract. Because you you can't let it go. You can't not give him that and then have him go somewhere else because he's going to get that offer in other places. But yeah, I guess the, the the worry I have with him is how he how he um how he looks during during that time in a in a larger sort of sample size with uh, with Zion. That's the concern. His true shooting dropped to 55 in the 340 minutes he played alongside Williamson. His usage dropped down to under 27 as well. So there are, I guess, some troubling-ish sort of signs 
during during that. But again, it's still a small sample size for us to uh, to pay attention to. Let's see what happens next year. But it is going to be really intriguing to see how these blokes go together, even during during this Orlando bubble resumption of play. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar that you can find. I've been talking about it for weeks now, and if you haven't experienced the great flavors of Built Bar, you need to go and do it. Most protein bars, they taste like dry cement. Built Bar tastes like a candy bar covered in 100% real chocolate, 16 different flavors, eight of those flavors are nut-free. They are high protein, they are low calorie, they are low sugar, and they taste fantastic. You are gonna wanna devour one of these when you get back from your workout, and let's be honest, we've all stacked on a few pounds with the uh, coronavirus quarantine slash lockdown. So getting back in shape is gonna be of utmost importance to almost everyone, and doing it with Built Bar is a great, tasty, and healthy way to do it. Go to builtbar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get 10 bucks off your first order using that promo code locked on at builtbar.com for 10 bucks off. And this week, they're also offering 50% off their entire range and all profits are going towards charities devoted to education and ending racism and discrimination. So builtbar.com, use that promo code locked on. All right, the next guy up on my list here is the Italian cock. Hands off my cock. Danilo Gallinari, who is amazingly 32 years of age. He made almost $22 million this year, and he had a really, really strong season. And he has been a very good player for the last three or four years. Where he fits, of course, coming across in the Paul George trade, where he fits in the modern NBA um, is going to be interesting at this age and what sort of deal he, he looks at. I wouldn't think you'd want to give him, with his injury history, you would never want to give him a four-year deal. Will the Thunder look to bring him back? Um, that's the concern. Now, he wanted, to, and you can tell he wants longevity because when there was that trade for him to go to Miami, it got nixed because he would not accept the extension that the, the Heat wanted, which was like a, a one-year extension because he wants to hit free agency and get a two- or three-year deal. So is that going to have somewhat of an impact on where Gallinari can land? Miami does have some cap space. But they do want to preserve it for 2021. They're going to have approximately $26 million in cap space this coming off season. He would fit there you know, brilliantly on a you know, three-year, $45 million deal. But I think he thinks he can get more. I don't think the Thunder should be prioritizing bringing Gallinari back at age 32 at what's going to be $20 million. Like sign and trades, maybe that's something they look at. Uh, other teams with cap space, Charlotte's always going to be in the mix because they're terrible. I think in Atlanta... Obviously, that would just mean they're going completely in on offense, and his best position is the four, so that probably rules rules him out of, of going there. Um, back to New York, he'd be a much better option than Julius Randle, but again, doesn't really fit that timeline. So in terms of positioning where he sits, uh, it's, it's a little hard to find out where that market's going to be. One thing I think is interesting is Phoenix. They're probably going to lose Dario Saric because they don't want him there. Putting... Gallinari in that power forward position, which was really, really well held by McCall Bridges, which again, moving Bridges out of the lineup is probably not the ideal move for Phoenix. But I think Gallinari could fit in really nicely there and play 30 minutes and be a second offensive option who is a real threat getting to the basket, drawing free throws defensively. There are huge concerns and a Gallinari eight in front court would be a problem. Uh, and by a problem, I mean bad, not in the terms of other YouTubers who are, uh, you know, use problem or this changes everything or this guy is a bucket. No, it would be a problem. It would be bad having those two guys together out there. So um, yeah, his, his space is limited. There's not many teams with projected cap space. 
There are teams that can get a lot of cap space, but there's not a huge amount who have massive amounts of space. So I think we might end up seeing Gallinari if he wants to prioritize money or if he wants to prioritize years. Because if he wants to prioritize money, there's limited options. If he, Sorry, if he wants to prioritize years, I don't think many teams are going to are gonna do that. But money, he could find himself with a one-year $22 million deal and then hit back into free agency the next year after that, which I think is going to be a more likely, uh, more likely exercise for him. But he is a, a really interesting case for upcoming free agency. Let's go on to the next guy, another bloke who probably is more of a power forward than a small forward, but he did play some small forward this season alongside rookie Rui Hachimura, and that is Davis Bertans, who I don't think that the Wizards uh, utilized 100% correctly. He only played 29 minutes, and in saying that, he was still awesome. 15 points, almost four triples a game, 42% on almost nine attempts. They used him better than San Antonio did. I'll give him that because they just said bomb the shit out of things. Uh, I just don't think they played him enough. Ideally, he is a power forward and not a small forward. He does very little outside of shooting, but when you are that level of a shooter, it doesn't really matter that you're lacking in those other areas. If you are a nine three-point attempt guy per game and you're hitting 42% of them and you are that good offensively, the defensive stuff can be worked on. He was a plus 5.6 in on-off for this team, second only to your mate, Isaac Bonga. Um... And look, a really, really key piece. He made $7.3 million. He's only 27 years of age. So a three, four-year deal for an elite shooter like this, he's going to command upward of $12, $13 million a year. And I think if you're comparing Bertans and Gallinari, Gallinari is a better player, but I would rather have Bertans. You're going to be able to get him cheaper. You're going to... He's four, five years younger as well, and you're going to get that elite shooting and spacing, which is so, so key for many more years to come. So I think Bertans is going to be getting 10, 12 million, four years, 60 would be reasonable for Bertans. I think that's a fair sort of price tag for him. Um, yeah, what teams really want that or what teams is he going to go to? I would love to see him uh, on Miami next to Bam Adebayo. Yes, they like more Myers, Leonard and Kalionic playing center, but put Bam at center and put Bertans next to him. I would love that. Should you imagine Bertans and Duncan Robinson? Bombing away on that team. Like, that would work really, really well. Um, Washington seems keen to bring him back. I don't really know what they're trying to achieve there, but maybe they do that and then they look to, because they've got bird rights on him, maybe they then look to trade him on after that. But he is going to be in demand. I think Portland would make a lot of sense with Zach Collins and Yusuf Nurkic in that front court. They need to create some space to get him in there, but they could work that. And I think that would make a, a ton of sense, really, to have Bertans there as a as a real offensive shooting threat. Um, I would, I'd be really interested to see him next to Zion in New Orleans. Uh, yeah, playing Zion as the center, uh, Bertans next to him. You need that shooting next to him. Now, defensively, that's probably going to be a real issue. And Favors has worked sensationally next to Zion as a defensive player, but getting that shooting there is really key. He's going to be a massively in-demand free agent for this upcoming offseason. The next guy here we look at is Jay Crowder. Speaking of Miami, Crowder uh, currently with the Heat after getting traded in the Justice Winslow deal. Um, Crowder has fallen off a lot over the last couple of years. At one point, he was one of the best contracts in the NBA when he was with Boston, but recent play has he's fallen off considerably. His numbers have dipped. His shooting percentages have been rough. Now, to be fair to him, in the 13 games he played in Miami, he shot 39%. The last time he shot anywhere close to that level was 2016. 
uh, since then he's been a 32% shooter, a 32% shooter, a 33% shooter, and then he was a 29% shooter in Memphis before being traded to Miami. So those 13 games, that 39%, I'm not ready to say that the Jay Crowder shooting experience is back. He was 33, 35 of 89 in Miami. Defensively, he's fallen off a little bit as well, although again, the steal rate did jump back up in Miami after being down quite a bit. But again, I'm, I'm not ready to say that he is all the way back. He is 30 years of age. He's an unrestricted free agent who made $7 million. And I think yeah, when he signed that contract, it was a huge bargain. At $7 million a year now for Crowder, I feel like that's probably about right. And I really think that fitting into that sixth man role, who a guy that if the shooting remains and sticks to at least some level, then it's really valuable as a sort of three, sort of D player, which is where he is at this point in his career. Um, he'd be an interesting player on you know, almost every team in the NBA. And I think a lot of squads are going to be able to afford him in terms of even mid-level exception type money. Um, there is He's not going to be demanding 10 plus a year, and I wouldn't want to pay him 10, but you know, $9, 8000000 million a year for two or three years. Uh, yeah, two-year, $18 million contract for Jay Crowder on a team that looks pretty solid would make a lot of sense to me. Could he fit in back in Dallas? He started in Dallas. He was terrible when he was there as a rookie. Uh, could he could he fit back there, sort of in that Dorian Finney-Smith type of role? But again, he's 30 years of age. Finney-Smith's doing a similar thing uh, at a much younger age. I think you'd want to be looking at Crowder on a playoff fringe contenderish type squad. Um, rather than a developing team for as good as he can be uh, as a uh, effort sort of a player. If you are looking for parts for your car, don't go to your local auto store. As they sit there, they type in whatever the part is on the computer, and they tell you it's going to be three or four weeks. Mate, you can do that at home. Go to rockauto.com and you can save yourself not only the time and the effort of going out, but save yourself money up to 100%. Sometimes on these parts, you can save by ordering them directly from rockauto.com. Rockauto.com is a family business and they've been serving the auto parts community online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for your auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. Everything you need, rockauto.com will have it there for you. And when you go and make your purchase, where they have the box that says, how did you hear about us? Just write locked on in that box so they know that they you came from us. Rockauto.com. The prices are always reliable, reliably low, and the same price for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Rockauto.com. Next bloke up on this list, another player who realistically is a power forward, and that's you know, Gallinari, power forward. Bertans, power forward. Crowder, power forward. And the next bloke, Jeremy Grant, Powerful. He made $9.1 million. He has a player option this year. And unlike Gordon Haywood, unlike Otto Porter, I think Grant's going to be declining this player option. I wouldn't say that he had the most successful season in um, in Denver. He took a big step backwards from where he was in Oklahoma City. But the Nuggets have a big, big decision to make. Paul Millsap is an unrestricted free agent. Jeremy Grant is going to be an unrestricted free agent. And they've got Michael Porter Jr. there. All of those players' best position is at power forward. So how are they going to prioritize? Grant is only 26, and he's going to want to make a better deal than what he uh, was paid this year. Only 12 points, three and a half rebounds. He shot 40% from three on a decent amount of attempts, but that's two years in a row of being a really good three-point shooter. Um, improved his free throws up to 74%. In fact, over his last 25 games, he was an 85% free throw shooter. 
Defensively, the numbers aren't sensational in terms of steals and blocks, but he's a, he's a good defender. I think you look at him as a guy that, especially if that stretchability sticks, that you want to have on a 10 to $12 million a year contract. Is he uh, a guy that we look at as you know, a real game changer? No, he's never going to be a high usage guy or an absolute elite defensive stopper, but really good defender. Shown an ability to now hit some threes. Terrible rebounder. Not a good passer, so there are some deficiencies in his game. But he is a guy that's going to be in demand as we move forward to play at the four, to play at the five. Never at the three. Never want to play him, play him at the three. But there are some teams that could use that. Now, what teams are that? Charlotte's always going to be in the mix for, for looking at guys like Jeremy Grant. Um, I don't think the Lakers have any hope of getting him, but I think he'd be a really interesting fit next to Anthony Davis. I don't think that's got any chance of happening. I would love him in Minnesota next to Carl Anthony Towns. That would probably require them you know, renouncing guys like Malik Beasley to get him in there. So I'm not sure that's going to be something that happens. He could be a Derek Favors-ish type replacement in New Orleans, although the Grant-Zion combination probably isn't the, isn't the best uh, way to do it. And if Denver decides they don't want Paul Millsap and that they think Michael Porter's not ready to be a starter, then he comes back. Starts, they pay him three years, $40 million, and then Porter takes over in two years' time. I think there's a real possibility. They have to make a call between Millsap and Grant. Grant can come off the bench and play 27, 28 minutes as well. I think you want more than that. I think you want a bigger contract than that. But that is a possibility for Jezza as well. Next up is a guy that's actually a small forward, and that's Derek Jones Jr., made only $1.6 million, and he is an unrestricted free agent at the age of 23. You don't get many players who are UFAs at that sort of an age because of the way he came in. You're signed by Phoenix and then cut and then picked up by Miami into in, from the G League and then signed that really small deal. Jones is a player who, again, age 23, 25 minutes, 9 points per game. A wild 51% from the field and 27% from three. He cannot shoot. That is a concern. He does wild dunks. We know he won the dunk, dunk contest, unfairly, some may say. He is a really a pretty strong defender. Good with steals, good with blocks, locks guys down on the perimeter. But the shooting is, is really bad. It's a, it's a massive concern. The finishing around the rim, super. 67% from two this season. That's a really good number. But he cannot shoot. He is definitely worth more than $1.6 million, and I am pretty confident that Miami will want to bring him back. Now, there's so many people that talk about Derek Jones. Oh, he just needs to step. He's going to develop. He's going to blossom. Oh, I'm not sure how much more he go gets from here, like how much better he gets. If I was Miami, though, I would prioritize him over Jay Crowder and give him the 29 minutes a night, but he's had a lot of injury problems. He has that problem with shooting as well, and that's a concern. So maybe he just is this 24-minute-a-night guy, extremely low usage, who plays defense and finishes around the rim, which has value, and it has more value than the $1.6 million he was paid this year, but I don't think it's necessarily going to be this huge sort of payday. But he would fit on a lot of different teams, just as long as you're not relying upon him to be really any sort of a shooter. Um... He looks like the sort of player that Orlando would go after, but it would be horrible with uh, Isaac and Gordon filling those positions already. I don't really know how that would make sense. I wouldn't mind him back in Phoenix. Uh, whether he'd want to go back there after they uh, after they cut him, I have significant doubts about that. I could see him in Sacramento as a really nice 3-4 uh, bench piece. That would make sense to me to go there as well. Uh, he'd be awesome in Toronto. I just don't think they're going to necessarily have that sort of cash, but things could go awry with some of the re-signings of their other big men. So Jones could be in play in that situation. Next up on our list, we've got Flaming Mo Harkless. 
Harkless had a couple of good years as a, a strong three-point shooter. It wasn't one of them this year, under 35%. Here, again, he's just this very, very low usage wing defender, traded to the Knicks as part of the Marcus Morris deal. Uh, he's still only 27 as an unrestricted free agent. Made $10.5 million this season. Was really, really good in Portland. Not so good this season. But a player who, when he's out on the court, he... He can produce winning-type plays. It doesn't always show up in the box score because he's just this low-usage guy who can get the occasional steal and block, which is all very useful. But offensively, there are a lot of concerns. I don't think that Harkless will make this $10 million back again. Would I yeah, prefer him to someone like Derek Jones, even though he's four years older? Probably. I think there's more shooting history, more shooting form in what Harkless has done in his career. But that's really going to depend, again, on what sort of team you're at. But he's more of a, a seven, six or $7 million a year sort of a player. And that means he can fit in lots of spots. I'd love to see him in Golden State. You're subbing him with you know, Stephen Clay, just a, a low-usage guy, you're playing alongside Andrew Wiggins, helping him out defensively. I think that would make a lot of sense. I think it'd be awesome in the way that Houston's running things. You know, throw him in there as a P.J. Tucker, Robert Covington backup, give him 25 minutes in the role that like Daniel House and sort of Ben McLemore has been playing at times this season. I think that would be awesome. Now, uh, their ability to afford him is almost, it's literally non-existent. They'd have to pull off some uh, some shenanigans, but Daryl Morey is not averse to shenanigans, so there is a possibility there. At number nine, DeAndre Bembry. He's a restricted free agent, 1.8 million this year, age 26. That's the difference. He's, Derek Jones is 23 and unrestricted. Bembry, 26 and restricted. He did fall out of favor with Atlanta a little bit this year, just 21 minutes, and he seems to have stagnated. Can't get the shot going, 23% shooting. I think we're looking at almost yeah, minimum-type deals, two years, $7 million maybe, something like that for Bembry, who has shown an ability to be a good defender, to be a guy that can handle the ball, but the complete lack of offensive burst, the complete lack of shooting ability has held him back through these first four years. And I don't think Atlanta's going to be prioritizing bringing Bembry back. And I think he's going to get a little bit lost in the shuffle out there in free agency. So not necessarily a high priority guy, but he can play the one, the two, and the three. And the last guy that we take a look at here is um, Joshy Jackson. I thought I'd bring him up just because the the potential, more, but more the pedigree number four overall pick. And he is not a restricted free agent because he had his fourth year rookie option declined. He was paid $6 million this year. He barely played for Memphis. But when he did come in and play, he looked much better than he had in the past. I still don't think that Jackson is a starting caliber NBA player. He, he cannot shoot. Uh, there is he, he can't. True shooting of under 54%, another 66% from the line, um, yeah, 32% from three. But again, to be fair to Josh, his G League shooting numbers were much better. But he continues to strike me as a guy that in order to have any sort of success, he just needs the ball in his hands all the time. And that's not going to lead to the team winning. So yeah, it, Memphis is restricted in terms of, yeah, because he had that rookie option declined by Phoenix, but then they traded for him. They can't pay more than the $6 million. I don't, no one's paying more than that. Or no, they're not paying more than what the, the value of his fourth year contract would have been, which is around $6.7 or $7 million around that mark. No one's paying that for Jackson. I can see him you're going back out on a one-year, you know, $3 million type of deal, sort of like what Rondé Hollis-Jefferson and Stanley Johnson did 
in Toronto. Hasn't really worked out well, that well for those guys, especially for Stan. And I think Josh might be in a similar boat. But I reckon Memphis has got the ability to bring him back on that cheaper deal. And I think they'd like to see at least one more year after watching his development with the hustle this season. But I don't really have much faith in Josh Jackson as we move forward. That'll do it for my free agency small forward show. I'll be back tomorrow with a mailbag edition program. Don't forget, subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on YouTube. Follow me on Twitter at RedRock underscore b Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.